0: The visitors that we have and we thank the Lord uh, for moving in your heart and bringing you here to be with us. We have been going through the book of Ephesians and we will continue to do that this morning so if you have your Bibles with you and I hope that you have brought your Bibles with you we will open up to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and this morning I want to back up to verse 15. We've already looked at this verse and all the way down uh, through uh, verse 19. But we want to back up to verse 15 this morning, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, and I want to read so that we get the full context, or at least as a, a good portion of the context, down to verse 21. So just follow with me as I'm reading, wherefore... I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. There is so much truth in these verses. Paul begins his prayer first prayer for the local church at Ephesus by giving thanks to God for them. He then asked the Lord to give them a greater wisdom and a greater revelation of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He then prays for three separate and distinct things to be given to them. In that knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. The first is that he desires that God give them an understanding of the hope of his calling. He is praying that they would understand and live their lives in such a way as they believe that they have been called out of darkness and into the glorious light of the Lord Jesus Christ. He then prays for them to understand something of their inheritance. And though all of the blessings of God regarding salvation are part of that inheritance, the focus of his prayer is that they would understand something of their inheritance in glory, and how that will bring God glory. And so he desires that God give them an understanding of the richness of their inheritance. That, that they would understand and live their life as though heaven were their home. That this earth is not our house, it's not our home, it's just a temporary dwelling place. This body that we have, just a tent compared to the house that we're going to inherit in glory. And that an awareness of what heaven is, genuine awareness of what heaven is, changes the lifestyle of a person who says that they are Christians. The third thing that Paul prayed for was that they might know and understand and that they might be fully acquainted with the power of God revealed in salvation In the salvation of His people. Verses 19 and 20 and 21 deal with this. Paul speaks of the power of God here as the exceeding greatness of His power to usward, toward us who believe. The exceeding greatness of His power. These words are magnified one upon another and upon another as though Paul were struggling to try to express to this church something of what he is trying to get them to understand. He's choosing the words and God is inspiring those words but and the words are sort of rolling off of his pen but he can't sort of grasp the idea and that's where we're going to be this morning when we try to grasp what Paul is saying to this church about what he calls the exceeding greatness of the power of God in their life. Paul is not referring to a one-time event in their Christian life. Instead, he speaks of them understanding and grasping and experiencing the greatness of God's power in their life. He refers to their whole Christian life when he is speaking to them about it. Every aspect of it. Every experience that we can have as a Christian has in it and should have in it something of the power of God in our life. Every aspect which relates to true Christianity is also related to the exceeding greatness of God's power in our life. And as soon as you begin to think about those words, you begin to realize where we are individually as Christians and where we need to be. I would recommend reading the commentary, some of them at least, John Gill says, quote, this power is that which is exerted in the implantation of faith. When God first gives you faith to believe in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The implantation of faith and in the continuance of it and in the finishing of that work. So that from his understanding and from mine also, that what Paul is talking about here when he is talking to those who are Christians about the exceeding greatness of God's power, he is talking about that which shows up in the beginning when God saves you and is still there at the end when God brings you to glory. The whole of your Christian life should reflect something of the exceeding greatness of the power of God that is in you, if you are a true Christian. When Paul speaks to Christians about the power of God, he is referring to the same power that it took to raise the Lord Jesus Christ from the grave and the same power that it took. For him to ascend into glory and take his place at the right hand of the Father. Verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward or toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought or worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And this word connects that last statement about the resurrection with the ascension and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. In other words, what Paul is dealing with here is that the same exact power that it took to raise Christ up out of the grave and to bring him all the way to heaven and to sit him on his throne in glory is the same power that is working And supposed to be working in those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. That is a powerful statement. True Christianity then differs from all man-made religions in this respect. True Christianity alone is attended with the power of God in the soul. All man-made religions are dependent upon the natural power that men have to do what they want to do in relation to God. Only Christianity takes the power of God to change a man into a Christian. That's what we believe in this church. We believe that only God can change a man who is a sinner into a Christian. Only God can take a person who is dead and make him alive. That's what we believe. We believe the scriptures teach that. But Paul says if you believe that, if that's the doctrinal foundation that you're resting your soul upon, that has a practical implication in your Christian life. And that's what he's dealing with here. Only true Christianity. Only true Christianity is a demonstration of the power of God in the soul. All other religions is a demonstration of the power of men to be religious. Only true Christianity is a demonstration of God in the soul. Paul spends the first ten verses of chapter 2 opening up and expanding what he means by this third request here at the end of chapter 1. In the first five verses of chapter 2, he concludes that men are dead in their sins and trespasses. And he explains that in the first five verses and what that means. And we'll look at that in the coming weeks. And then after chapter 2, verse 5, he begins then to speak, of the grace of God involved in the life of a child of God. And he culminates in verse 10 with a statement that true Christians are the workmanship of God. If you are a Christian this morning, it is because God has made you one, you are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus on two good works, verse 10 says. That's the culmination of what he will be dealing with and what we will be looking at in the next few weeks. The exceeding greatness of God's power is first revealed then in every sinner who has been converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. It starts there. Paul is addressing true believers. Look at verse 19 again. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward or toward us who believe? He is addressing believers, those who have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who have repented of their sins and have believed on Jesus to the saving of their soul. To those who believe, a power has been exerted toward you that you need to know something about. You need to know something about it, and he's going to open it up in the next chapters. But this morning, we want to look at it under three headings. First, he is referring to the exceeding greatness of the power of God revealed when we are brought from death to life. Jesus Christ spoke about that in John chapter 5, in verse 24. In the gospel according to John, Chapter twenty, uh, chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus Christ is speaking and he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word. You see how important it is to hear the word of God. If you reject hearing the word of God, what follows is not going to come to pass. And so it's necessary. He that heareth my word, Jesus Christ says, and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. He that believes on me, you hear the gospel message and believe on Christ, you pass from death to life. That act of taking a dead sinner and bringing him to life using the word of God is a demonstration of the power of God to save a sinner and turn them into a Christian. We have passed, we who are Christians, from death to life. Not only have we passed from death to life, but we have also been brought out of darkness into light. We looked at this word last week, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, where Peter says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, That, or in order that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Here, salvation is explained as a call. That God calls sinners and they are sitting in darkness. And He draws them out of that darkness into light. The Word of God becomes light to them and they understand who Jesus is. And Jesus being the light of the soul, they embrace Jesus Christ as their Savior. And when they have Jesus Christ as their Savior, they live like children of light, not like children of darkness. The power of God revealed in bringing us out of darkness into light. And then the third way that it is revealed is in the book of Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians is the books over to the right here the exceeding greatness of his power is revealed in translating us moving us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son colossians chapter 1 verse 12 says paul writing here giving thanks to the father which hath made us meet the old english word meet what does it mean it if you're there with me in colossians chapter 1 verse 12 he, Paul is saying, "The Father hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light." What he means by that is that the Father has given us the ability. We did not have the natural ability to come into the light. We were bound up in a in a kingdom of darkness. He goes on to say in verse thirteen. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Here, the Apostle Paul uses this illustration of where we were. We were bound up in a kingdom of darkness or a realm, a rule of darkness where Satan ruled us and kept us bound in sin and in the chains of bondage, We were kept there. We did not have the power to deliver ourselves. We had no natural ability to rise up and walk out of that darkness of our own. And Jesus Christ comes into that kingdom. And he breaks the chains of that bondage. And he takes us out. And the word translate there in verse 13 literally means he lays hold on us. And he places us into the kingdom of the Son of God. That is the power that it takes to save a sinner from their sins. That's what God does. You say, Brother Pat, I'm not a Christian this morning. How? If it takes that kind of power to become a Christian, how am I going to be saved, Brother Pat? How am I going to be saved if I can't do it myself? The first step, if I can use that term, is to realize you cannot do it yourself. And then the heart goes out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, have mercy upon my poor soul. Save me. Save me from my sin. Because I cannot save myself. And so this exceeding great power that Paul is speaking of here. Begins in salvation as God takes us from death to life, from darkness to light, and from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of the Son of God. And that by His exceeding great power manifest toward us who are believers in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there. The exceeding greatness of the power of God continues to be revealed in every true child of God, in every aspect of their Christian life. This is what Paul is dealing with here as he is praying for this church. He wants them to understand what true Christianity is all about. He wants them to understand what it means to be a child of God, to know something of the and experience something of the exceeding greatness of God's power in their life. True Christianity, as I said before, is a religion of spiritual power. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 20 says the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. The kingdom of God is not about words. It's not about some prayer you pray down at a Baptist altar. It's not about some words prayed over you. The kingdom of God is not about words. Not about what you think or I think. Not about what this religion teaches or that religion teaches. It's not about words. It's not about words at all. And there are a thousand religions in the world that say it's my way or it's this way or it's that way, and every one of them have a mouthful of words, and none of them speak at all to the real issue because the kingdom of God is not about words it's about power it's about what God has done. It makes no difference what I say or you say in some respects it is a Either a reflection of God in our life. Or it is not. And Paul knows that. And Paul understands that. In this church. This church at Ephesus here. Paul is praying for them to know it. Because they're, they're pagans. They're, they're Jews. They've come out of different religions. These Ephesians were Involved in the black hearts and the Jews and their false religion and, and God saves them and brings them together in one local church. And uh, you can imagine the conversations that are going on. Well, I was raised a Jew thus and thus and thus and thus. Well, I was raised a pagan and this is who we worship God. We worship Diana. Diana. Diana, the goddess that came from Mars and from heaven, and we worship that God. And and everybody's got their opinion. And Paul says, it is not about words. The issue is what has God done? What has God done? Because true Christianity is a religion of spiritual power. It is a religion of grace not of works. It is a demonstration of the power of God. And therefore, it is a demonstration of the grace of God because those two cannot be separated. Let me give you a definition of the word grace because most of you have heard that grace is the unmerited favor of God or God being favorable to you or so forth. And there is an aspect of grace in that definition, but it is not the definition of the word. Grace is defined as divine influence upon the heart with its reflection in the life. You could find that definition in the Strong's Concordance. Let me give it to you again. The divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. You see, the, what God does on the inside shows up on the outside. The power of God on the inside shows up in the life. Something has changed. It is reflected on the outside that grace is on the inside. It is reflected on the outside that the power of God is on the inside. How do I put those two together? Go with me to Second Corinthians chapter 12. I've often said to you that the Bible defines itself. That if we would look in the Scriptures and compare Scripture with Scripture, that we would see God defining His own words for us. So that we don't have to use religious words, but we have the Word of God as our standard of what we believe. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 9, the Apostle Paul has been praying. And he has been praying that God would deliver him from his infirmity. And God answers his prayers with this statement in verse 9. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, And he said that, As God said to me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My grace is sufficient for you. That's God's answer. And then God continues. And I want you to notice the next words because God is defining for us what he's talking about here. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, God said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now what word does the word strength define? Do you see it there? My grace is sufficient because my strength is sufficient. So grace and strength go together. Now this is not all that this verse says. Continue reading here in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul then responds responds to what God says when he says, My grace and my strength is sufficient for you. God Servant, the Apostle Paul says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul defines the grace of God and the strength of God as the power of God. Grace, sufficient grace is sufficient power to face this trial, Paul. Paul. Sufficient grace is sufficient strength to face this situation, Paul. Grace is the power of God in the heart reflected in the life. Defined for us in the very scriptures by the word strength and power here. This power that Paul is speaking of is what we call effectual or irresistible power Paul uses that phrase in the book of Ephesians. Go back there, I want you to see. Because in the end, it is what the Scripture says that we are bound to believe. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. Paul is still talking about the power of God. In fact, before he closes out chapter 3, he'll bring it up again in the power of God in relation to prayer. But here in verse 7... He mentions it again. He says, Whereof I was made a minister or a servant. Paul looks at himself, this apostle to the Gentiles, looks at himself as a servant of God. And he says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Paul defines the ability to serve God as the effectual working of God's power in his life. Are you catching the connection here? Are you seeing that when Paul prays that this church would know something about the exceeding greatness of his power, that it is reflected in every aspect of our life as a Christian? That we are not left alone in this world to live out our Christian life the way we want to, the way we think it's best, but God has empowered us to live out our Christian life according to what He says, according to His Word. The effectual, irresistible work of God in the soul. That's what we believe in this church. We believe that God can take a dead sinner and God can change him into a Christian. That God can do that. But we also believe, brethren, that that same exact grace, that same irresistible, effectual grace continues to work in the life of everyone who says they're a Christian. And will show up in their life. Now it is very easy to believe that the grace of God is necessary, the power of God is necessary take a dead sinner and bring him to life in Christ. We'll all shout amen on that. But then as soon as we learn from the scriptures that that same exact power is needed for us every day of our Christian lives. And in fact, is reflected in our life. If we are genuine Christians, then, oh, wait a minute. You see, that's where I'm at. Because if this is true, what about my life? Is there anything at all that reflects the power of God in my life, in my soul? In my heart. You see, it's not about you. It's about me. And then, on your side, it's about you and not about me. Is there anything of God's power in my life that demonstrates that I am, in fact, and indeed a child of God? And that the reflection of His grace shows up in my life in a daily way? And it is effectual that I can say, With the Apostle Paul as he writes to the church at Philippi. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That God is working in my life to will and give me the ability to do his will. To show me what that will is and then give me the ability to do it. Is that what is showing up in my life? Because that's what Paul is dealing with here. So that raises some questions in my mind. And the first one is this. Does God work in His children the willingness and the ability to read and learn the Word of God and then to do what it says? Does God do that? Does God work in the heart of His children and teach every one of His children the Word of God? Does God do that? Well, you know the answer is yes. God does that. Well, how does God do that? Well, God works in the heart in such a way as He gives them a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. In India, when I was preaching there, when God I said that when God saves a sinner, he puts within that sinner a hunger and thirst for that which they did not have before. They had a hunger and thirst for the world. They had a hunger and thirst for sin. They had a hunger and thirst for darkness and unrighteousness. But when God saves them, He gives them a new heart. That's what we believe. And that new heart now loves God. And that new heart now hungers and thirsts after righteousness. And it wants to read the Word of God. I graduated from high school when I was 18 years old. I think I was 18. Yeah, I think I was 18 years old when I graduated out of high school. I stopped reading. I didn't even read the newspapers. Know what a newspaper is? Some of you guys don't know what a newspaper is. I didn't even read the newspapers. Seven years later, God saved me. First thing I did was pick up the Word of God. My wife said, "You coming to bed?" I said, I'll be there soon. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. I'll be there. I'll be there soon. You can ask her about those days. You can ask her about the hunger and the thirst that God put in my heart for the Word of God when God saved me. Did he do that to you? Is there anything at all in your soul that says, Brother Pat, I want to know what God has to say. Job chapter 23, verse 12. I have esteemed the words of thy mouth, of his mouth, more than my necessary food. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It enlightens the eyes. The fear of the Lord, all this time about the Word of God, is clean and during forever. The judgments of God are true and righteous altogether. What God has to say is true and right and it's pure and it's clean and it rejoices my heart. And the psalmist goes on to say in verse 10 More to be desired are they than gold. Yes, even fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Something about God's Word is more important to the child of God. God puts that in him. But, uh, Brother Pat, we got to go to work. Yeah, you do. I know you do. We got families. I know, I know. We raised four kids, we got 15 grandkids. I know. A car broke down the other day at the post office. A couple of brothers came over to try to help me. Uh, my car breaks down. Your car breaks down, my car breaks down. Right? You get sick, I've been sick for 15 days. God's giving me a little bit of strength this week. You, you, you have financial problems? You're not the only one in the world that has financial problems. You, you got this or that. You got a whole list of the reasons why you can't. The same list is the reason why you can if you're a Christian. I said to my sweet, sweet daughter, I love her dearly. We have her today because I prayed before my wife was pregnant that God would give me a girl and then her name would be Rebecca. And my wife got pregnant and I said, you're going to have a girl and her name's going to be Rebecca. So, how do you know? I know. She got these kids around her, right? And she's had a wreck and she's had this and she's got this. And I said to her, honey, I said, I know it's hard. Well, you've got to figure out a way. You get up before they do. You go to bed after they do. I don't care what it is, but you've got to figure out a way to read the Word of God. Brother Pat, don't you think that's a little insensitive? How you treat your daughter that way? I mean, she's got five kids. She's sick. She's this problem. she got that problem. What about this? What about that, Brother Pat? What about it? Do we believe that the grace of God is effectual, brethren? Do we believe it? Do we believe it's irresistible? Do we believe God has something to do in our life that changes us? Do we have any belief at all in what we call the effectual grace of God? Because that's what Paul is dealing with here. That's what he's dealing with. When you say, Brother Pat, what do I do? Well, what did Paul do when he was sick? What do you do? He's sick. Lord, I don't like being sick. Lord, help me. I'm going to help you, Paul. (laughs) Praise the Lord. I'm going to leave you sick and I'm going to give you grace. Well, that's not exactly what I was asking for, but that's the answer to your prayer, Paul. That's the answer. And you're going to find out about the something about the power of God while you are sick. But I thought he was going to heal me, Brother Pat. No, you're going to find out something about the power of God when you're weak. There's going to be a demonstration inside of you that can't be explained any other way except God. That's how God answers. That's Christianity. That's where we live. That's what we understand Christianity to be. Does God tell His church, go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations or teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Does God say that? Does God mean that we're to teach all things that God has commanded or, or just a few things that we like? What did God mean when he said, teach them to observe all things? Did God mean anything by that? Are we supposed to teach everything that God says? Because everything he says is important. Is there something in God's word that we can just say, well, that's not important for me today, Brother Pat. Or is every word of God pure and righteous and good and profitable for me today? You see, Christianity is different than religion. And I know there's a lot of religion in this community. You know it too. I don't have to tell you. You know this community. There's a lot of religion. But true Christianity is different from that. What about the grace of God? Does it teach us anything? Paul said to Titus, chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, The grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. Teaching us what? The grace of God teaches us. What does it teach us, Brother Pat? Well, it teaches us to deny ungodliness and and worldly lust and to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Is grace teaching us anything? Is the power of God in our life teaching us anything? You think, Brother Pat, what do I do if I'm caught up in this sin or that sin? You repent because grace teaches you to repent too. And you mortify the deeds of the body because grace teaches you how to mortify. And you see sin for what it is as God defines it. Because the Holy Spirit in you convicts you of sin and of righteousness and of things to come. And you see things differently than the world. And you repent of your sin. And he puts a holy desire for you to live righteously in the world. You say, Brother Pat, I failed in this area a thousand times. And then a thousand and one times you repent. You ask God for forgiveness. You get back up and you walk right. How, Brother Pat? By the grace of God that's in you. Haven't you ever been caught in a trap of sin, Brother Pat? Yes. There has no temptation taken you, but such is common to men. There's not a person in this room that can say they've avoided this trap or that trap. And somehow or another because of their wisdom or whatever, they got out of this, they got out of that. No, if they are trapped and they got out, it's because God got them out. Because the righteous fall is seven times. And what happens on the seventh time? they rise up again that's what the scripture says do you believe the scriptures this morning do you believe god when he says many are the afflictions of the righteous but the lord delivereth them out of them all do we believe god's promises this morning are there things in our life that are just brought us down to the pit do we believe what god says this morning do we believe what God has said? Because faith is the victory over the world. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says. That's what faith is. It gives us a victory over the world. How, Brother Pat? God has said something to us. God has said something to you, dear child of God. Open up the Scriptures and see what He has said. Let me quote some things for you. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall... He shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him. O Lord, I have fallen a thousand times. Hold me up, O God. Hold up my goings in thy footsteps, O God. Hold up my footsteps in thy way, O God. Give me understanding of the way that I need to walk. A just man falleth seven times and rises up again. Lord, here I am again. The same old sin, the same thoughts, the same struggle. Help me, Lord. Just like you did before, help me, Lord. Because I don't have what it takes to be a Christian outside of the power of God. I don't have what it takes to live for you outside of what you're doing in my heart today. Isaiah forty-one ten. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. That's enough. But it doesn't stop there. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. What a promise. I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Hold me up, God. Help me. Strengthen me. Isaiah 43, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Lord, it feels like the ocean waves are just about to come on over my head. And I'm sinking to the bottom. When the waters come, I will be with you. And the rivers overflow, I will be there. And when you walk through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee, for I am the Lord thy God. Do we believe anything that God has said? Do we believe no weapon formed against thee shall prosper? No tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment shall, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. No weapon formed against thee shall prosper. But brother Pat, you don't know the weapons that the evil one has used against me. I'm cut with a thousand cuts, brother Pat. Yes, but you're not dead. And if he had his way, you'd be dead. And it has not prospered yet. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is your shield. And He is there. Micah 7, verse eight, verse 7 and 8 and 9. Listen to the Scriptures. These are promises from God. These things I hold on to. Well, I tell you, read the Scriptures. Hold on to what God says. Therefore, I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Verse 8, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, when I fall. I shall arise when I sit in darkness. The Lord shall be light unto me. You hear what he's saying here? I will bear the indignation of the Lord. What God has brought my way, I'm going to bear it. Because I have sinned against Him until He plead my cause and execute judgment for me. He will bring me forth to the light. and And I shall behold His righteousness. Don't rejoice over me, my enemies. Talking about Satan. Because God is for me. And God has proved a thousand times that he's for me. And if you belong to him, God is for you. Everything about our Christian life everything comes down to God in the soul. Are you weak this morning? God can strengthen you. Are you sick this morning? God's grace is sufficient. You need to make a decision about a job so you can be in church services. You think God can't provide? You think God can't be trusted? Are you afraid of what the world will say? If you speak up for Christ, you think God can't protect you? Everything comes down to whether we believe God or not. And whether or not there's something in the depths of our soul that says, God has saved me. I am a Christian. And wherever I am today is not where I want to be. Lift me up out of this miry clay, oh God. Set my feet on a rock again and again and again. Set me free so I can serve you. Take your word. And let me believe it. Let me trust you in my life. I have turned my soul over to you. So that I might escape hell. You have promised me everlasting life. My soul is in your keeping. How much more my life. How much more my life on this earth. Paul prays for this church. They would know something of the exceeding greatness of his power. Which he demonstrated toward us that believe. That same power that raised Christ from the grave. And. That same power that raised Him up to glory to sit in the heavenlies is the same power that saves us. And I know that we are struggling. But whatever it is, it is not too much for our God. And if you're here without Christ, This morning, there's only one who can save you from your sins. The one who has the power to save a sinner is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can save you from your sins. He is the only one who can say, be clean, and you'll be clean. I forgive you, and you'll be forgiven. You come to him, you'll find out. You'll see for yourself. You'll see he cannot fail himself. Let's pray together. My Father, my God, I pray this morning that you would be pleased to bless your word.